0: will ask me how do you put up with these two my answer good snacks and video games hey you guys what's going on it's episode number 288 now of the ron and don show and we're live from the leshwab studios what is up ron and don nation hey coming up on the uh, ron and don show we're going to talk about well there seems to be a fourth wave now a fourth wave of covid19 and you're not gonna believe what gail king that's right oprah's best friend what she's going to do about the unvaccinated people uh, in her family. We'll get to that. Also, Richard Branson flew to space. But did he really fly to space? Before we get to that, though, let's get to this. It's been a few days now, and everybody's talking about Richard Sherman, number 25, and the fact that uh, he was arrested last week uh, for going on, really, and I'll just say what no one's saying. It's a drunken rampage. He went on a drunken rampage. As a result of that, he stood before a judge. The judge said, you're the pillar of this community. And as a result of that, after spending two days in jail, we're going to let Richard out and hopefully go get some of the help that he needs. At the end of the day, does a pillar of the community do what Richard Sherman did uh, a couple Tuesday nights ago? I wrote something on my Facebook page. I'm just going to read it to you. It's had over 600 reactions. And when I wrote this, uh, a couple of my friends reached out to me, uh, and some were very upset with me. And what was interesting, when they reached out to me, it was almost at 10 o'clock at night. They had been drinking, and they wanted to know what the hell was the matter with me and why I didn't love Richard Sherman anymore? Number 25 for your Seattle Seahawks. So this is what I wrote. And if you walk into my house, Ron just walked into my house, there's one picture that you see, and it's from the Super Bowl, when Richard Sherman, well, it was right before the Super Bowl, right? NFC Championship sem- game. Yeah, NFC Championship game. In 2013, when we had the tip, it sent us to the Super Bowl. I have that picture. It hangs in my foyer when you walk in the front door. It still does. And it still will. This is what I wrote, though. I said, if we love Richard Sherman, maybe we should stop watching football. You may block me after reading this on my Facebook channels, but please hear me out. The picture that hangs in the home, my home, when you first walk in the front door, is a picture of Richard Sherman. I just explained that to you guys. And I have to admit, I love the violence of football. So do many of you. We celebrate, and we have celebrated for years, the Legion of Boom! But guess what? For many of these players, the Legion of Boom has become the Legion of Doom. I worked for the Oakland Raiders. Ron did too. We were sideline reporters in 1997. Richard's story is not new to us. If you've been around the NFL, you know that seven young men on that roster in Oakland from 1997, they are dead. Most of them died horrible deaths. If you don't believe me, Google Curtis Whitley and also Daryl Russell when you have a minute. Then when we worked for the Dallas Cowboys in 2000-2001, we saw the same thing. Young players making horrible decisions and dying way too young. We also covered a young player who had just become a Dallas Cowboy by the name of Ryan Leaf. You may have heard of him. And his demise, football hits, not only cause CTE in some players, they also break the frontal lobes of the brain. Frontal lobes are the breaking system of that big brain that we we humans have. And as a result of that, it's very, very important to respect the frontal lobes of the brain. Frontal lobes are the breaking systems, as I said. And brain damage turns those lobes off. And heavy drug use and drinking exacerbates it. So if you drank two fifths, and they're saying that Richard Sherman drank two fifths on that Tuesday night, if you did that on a Tuesday night, you would be dead. Guaranteed. Dead. In my heyday of drinking, a half a fifth would wipe me out. And believe me, I could drink. And if Richard could drink that much and function, that tells me, as someone who also drank like Richard did, that he's been drinking like this for a very long time. Don't feel sorry for him. He almost killed many people. He almost killed himself. Nobody is coming to save Richard Sherman. He'll have to save himself. I'm wired just like Richard. So listen to me. What helped me was tough love. Very tough love. Stop blaming the 911 operator or the cops. He was already warned when previous court documents were sealed, right? Yeah, so let's go back to the Legion. Earl, he's eternally angry. Brandon is imprisoned for trying to murder his fiance. And Richard, well, now we know he had a very bad Tuesday night. Addicts like Richard and I don't need your pity, but we need your prayers. I've heard no one express concern for Richard's relatives, for his kids, the police who responded, the canine who had to be released, the 911 operator, or the construction workers that were almost mowed down by him. That alcohol helped soothe the frontal lobes. And those frontal lobes, for addicts like us, it hurts like a B word. I know that from personal experience. And the alcohol soothes the frontal lobes. I don't want to see Richard Sherman die in the same way that Curtis and Russell did. They were both our friends. It's time for number 25 to get to work. It'll be much harder than anything he's ever done on a Sunday afternoon. So I'm cheering for him. I am here for him. But I will not coddle him. But I will encourage him. Love and respect. Don O'Neill.
1: I I really respect what you said there. And I have a flashback of, of being in a golf tournament with Curtis Whitley. One of the funnest events I've ever done in my life. I was in a golf cart with him for four hours, laughed the whole time, did crazy, stupid things in a golf cart that, that human beings shouldn't do. And just really had a blast. Daryl Russell, the same way used to come in, we'd buy him McDonald's and he would spin records on turntables in the studio. Super funny guy. Uh, and both of them died horrific deaths. So I I hear what you're saying and and I can't refute your position. I do have a sense of gratitude that Richard Sherman is not dead. When you read the story of how he interacted with police officers at his in-laws house, if they did not know he was Richard Sherman because one of the officers even talked to him saying, Hey, I I used to be a valet before I became a cop and I parked your car back in the day. Mm -hmm. So he knew he was Richard Sherman. If that was just standard-issue African-American man drunk at, at, at 2 in the morning and uh, police and he charged at a police officer, he would be dead. He would; They would have emptied the clip, and probably multiple officers would have emptied the clip uh, if he did not respond to verbal commands. So that's what they're trained to do. They did not shoot him. So I have a sense of gratitude for that because I do have some empathy for Richard Sherman because of what you just said he he made his way through the nfl on bluster and he expre- a, a lot of times that's uh, uh, an armor for fear or intimidation or insecurity and, and i always think back to a guy like bill romanowski bill romanowski should have never been in the nfl he he hyped himself up to such a degree and got into such a state of mind a linebacker played for the Raiders. He also played for the Broncos. He got himself into such a frenzy and took enough steroids that he could compete at the NFL level without that. He couldn't do it. So you and I have seen up close, some guys that are on the bubble, I'm not saying Richard Sherman's on the bubble, but I'm just saying need to get themselves into a mental state of mind to step on that field. That would shock nine, 90% of the people listening to this station or this, this show. Um, and he seemed to have that gear. You know, I don't know him personally, but this is just being close to the Seahawks when we were and we covered the Super Bowl and all that stuff. That, that's what it, that's the, the archetype of player that I saw in Richard Sherman. And it helped him perform. It, it helped him get to that elite level. Uh, he knew that he had to back it up. If he was going to come out there and proclaim how he did it and get up into Tom Brady's face and you mad bro and all that stuff, That that, that, helped, that was fuel for him. That fuel burns dirty though. And so here you are down the road eight years. Uh, your, your contract is up. He fired his, his, uh, his, his agent or parted ways with his agent. So he felt like he could do it better and save that commission. Um, and he'd seen other players do it that, that, that got big contracts without representation. And so, and, and also we don't know the status of his marriage. At one point, you know what, I'm not going to say any hearsay stories. We don't know the status of his marriage. That's a lot of pressure. And, um, you know, I don't know what it's like to come out of Compton and to think my only path out of this neighborhood and out of this poverty uh, is to be an elite athlete. I, I don't know what it's like to carry that. I, I don't know what it's like. Uh, to then finally make it and try to stay on top when everybody's gunning at you. Like, leaning on some booze doesn't surprise me. And I don't necessarily judge him for that. Of course you judge him harshly for driving in that state. Of course you judge him harshly for, um, you know, trying to break into his relative's house. All of those things are unforgivable. His father-in-law was on the other side of that door with a gun. His father-in-law was prepared to shoot him. Um, I'm grateful that chain didn't break. Because I can't imagine having to shoot a family member out of fear. Like I, I do feel for, for the family. I feel for his wife. Uh, I fear for his kids. Because the dark side of that bravado sometimes expresses itself in a lot of ways. And I, I don't know anything that you don't know. I'm just saying I know what I know and I've seen it too many times uh, in our work with professional athletes over the years. It is the rare athlete that's the left shrimp of the world that plays at the highest level, exits the league gracefully, appears to have a great relationship with his wife and kids, is involved in the community, the Jay Buners of the world. Those are the exceptions. You know, those are the exceptions and not the rule. The Brock Hewards, those guys are rare. Usually you hear the story of a guy that's broke, a guy that started a record label, guy that sunk his money into cryptocurrency, guy that was going to be whatever, you know, uh, buy stuff for all his crew, then they're broke or they're depressed. They're, you know, end up in jail or worse. So I'm, I'm grateful that he is not dead. I do believe in redemption. His apology on social media was a legit apology. He didn't blame shift. He said, I'm not proud of the way I behaved and I'm gonna seek some help. He he didn't sugarcoat it. He just said that was bad.
0: Yeah, and I thought I I didn't see his apology that way. I, I read it a couple times and I thought it was very selfish. Hmm. It was about him. You terrorized. You terrorized. You terrorize your relatives, your father-in-law, your mother-in-law, the kids on the other side of that door. You terrorize them. You are the hardest-hitting cornerback maybe in the history of the NFL. He knows that on the other side of the door. They know you're coming. They've called the police, and I'm sure their daughter called them and said, he's coming. And when you watch that video of him trying to take that door down, When you look at what he did to that car and those workers he almost killed, he didn't apologize to any of them. Any of them. So if you want redemption, don't be so damn selfish. I say this as an addict myself. People that are addicts like me and addicts like Richard Sherman, we see the behavior And we call each other out. So I'm not here to coddle him. You can coddle him. It won't help him. You can believe in redemption, and you want him back in the legion of boom. And I hear all these people say we're going to pray for him, and at 33, maybe he'll become a Seattle Seahawk again. I hope he doesn't. I think the worst thing in the world for Richard Sherman is for him to keep playing football. What he showed us the other night is that his frontal lobes are... uh, and it's going to take a lot of work to get control of that. We'll see you on the other side of this. You can just tell that they uh, that they're just real genuine guys and,
1: and care about uh, who they work with, and just feel like we, you know, we got we got some some more friends now. It truly is one of life's biggest transactions. If you're downsizing, upsizing, or right-sizing, Ron and Don can help you buy, sell, or invest in real estate. It all starts with a Ron and Don sit-down. Hi, I'm Oli. Hi, I'm Emmy. Hi, I'm John Greenland. I'm Lauren Greenland. Hi, my name is uh, Anthony Kroll.
0: Hi, I'm Gretchen. And I'm Byron. And we sat down with, with
1: Ron and Don. Mm-hmm. They were more prepared. They paid way more attention to detail, um, and then they just came in with a with a lot more knowledge and were able to set those expectations up a lot better than um, some of the previous uh, realtors that we worked with. So, I mean, I was, I was extremely pleased with uh, the
0: the entire, uh, the sit down, the, the experience and, and the results, of course. There was a friendship that developed and a, and a, and a trust.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, I would say a trust and then, you know, we yeah. have,
0: we love them. It's been a hell of a lot of fun for one thing.
1: I see them as, as friends now, I feel like they've made me feel part of this community. And knowing that you know Don's just down the street is is comforting.
0: <laughs> we totally consider Ron and Don friends of ours now, and we do miss working with them. It was intense there for a little bit, but it's an
1: experience that we'll always remember and have, and um, and now lifelong friends. It's the Ron and Don Nation. That's right. <laughs> Don't forget, when you're ready to sit down and start your real estate journey, schedule your time with the guys at ronanddonsitdown.com.
0: Hey, it's GeForce O'Neill. Thanks for listening to my dad and his boyhood friend, Mr. Ron. All right, you guys, welcome back to the Ron and Don Show, episode 288. As you heard, we're licensed brokers at Windermere. And we have a buyer's playbook and a seller's playbook, and we've written this, you guys, just for you.
1: Yeah, you can email me ron at windermere.com. You can go to ron Things are, are changing. Uh, I was out showing some houses today and there was a house, beautiful place. Started out at 9.95. Then they dropped it to the 975. Wow. Now they've dropped it to 915. Uh, they're doing open houses. There's balloons. There's flyers. There's uh, smells like cookies inside. Uh, like they are trying to sell this house. Yeah. And I think if that house was for sale three months ago, it probably sells for nine ninety five, if not more. So things are changing. If you want to know uh, the micro trends in your neighborhood or your budget, uh, email me. We'll get you one of those guys.
0: Yeah. All right. Email Ron, Ron at Windermere.com. Kind of interesting today, my son is uh, heading off to camp. It's an overnight camp. So we've been talking about what it would be like to go to camp and not be around your parents and not be around your dog. So he's going to head off to uh, Vashon Island for a week at age 11. So we're trying to mentally prepare for that. Part of the preparation is uh, we had to make a phone call to our healthcare provider through Primera. And what they did is they sent a car over to the house and we sat out on the bench that, Ron, you were just sitting on, uh, sitting outside, because it's a beautiful day here in Seattle. Uh, and I pulled up in the driveway, and there you were, and they had just been there probably two hours ago. And they looked like Gage and DeSoto from Squad 51, to give you a TV land reference, an emergency, right? Uh, they brought out all this gear, and they had to, get, they had to give Gunnar O'Neill a COVID-19 test. And he came back negative. All right, amen. So, uh, so we get to go to camp. And I was, I was asking them, I said, what has it been like for you? And they said, you know, we were doing this testing before there was any vaccine. And they said it was scary as hell. It was just scary. Uh, because you would sit here and you would test. And sometimes people come back positive, And you'd have on all this PPE. And at the same time, you still wondered if you were going to go home and kill one of your family members. So we were kind of talking through that. And I think sometimes a lot of us forget the fear that we felt early on. Uh, I can remember, you know, being with my son outside, and sometimes, uh, you know, there were a number of weeks there where we didn't hug, we didn't touch, we stayed in other rooms uh, because we were just, and I was afraid of, of killing him. You know, I was, I mean, that that was in our mind's eye. So for whatever reason. The, the early pandemic that we had in the early 1900s killed a lot of children, didn't kill older people. We have found out the reason for that is because older people had been inoculated for something uh, when they were younger that helped them when they were older and kids hadn't been. And in here we see uh, a reverse where older people have been dying and not so much younger people. They are saying now, though, that we're headed to a fourth wave. This is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Uh, I read in Massachusetts yesterday that everyone that died from COVID-19 in Massachusetts, 100% of the people that died there in the last month were unvaccinated people. Right now, people that are filling up hospitals and people that are dying and very sick, 98.7% of them are unvaccinated. So we hear these stories of people that are vaccinated but still get COVID-19. Well, they've done some research and we've figured out it's typically people with an autoimmune disease or people that have maybe had like a kidney transplant or a heart transplant. And so they're finding not only do they need one dose or two doses, they may need three doses or four doses. This is what I think is interesting because we're going to cycle around from summer back into winter. As we we cycle fall, winter, we're going to have kids going back to school. We're seeing a lot of people go back to work. Uh, We're also seeing uh, lots of people uh, traveling, and they're going to be traveling for the holidays. This is interesting. Gail King, who, again, is Oprah's best friend, and I love both of them, and I like to hang out underneath the big maple trees in Oprah's backyard when I listen to Super Soul Conversations that they have. I really love the connection uh, that Gail has, and I think she does a great job, too, on CBS this morning. She has come out and said that if your unvaccinated friend Or if you're an unvaccinated uh, family member and you expect to come to her house or to hang out or go for coffee or come for the holidays, that that will not be happening. I think that is a line that has to be drawn. And I wonder how many people are willing to draw that line.
1: I I support her in that. I don't know if you've been required to show your vaccination or not. I, I went to a hot yoga class, of all things. Uh, a week or so ago, and part of the registration process or onboarding with this this studio was I had to produce a Mm. photograph of my card, and they matched up my name uh, with my driver's license, and before I could enter the room, the studio where the the yoga was happening, and I was like, that's great. Mm. I wish that happened more. Like, I don't need to do... I haven't been asked to do that anywhere else. I'm I'm about to take a trip with my my brother and sister-in-law and, you know, the airline information is saying that I'm most likely going to have to prove vaccination. I don't see why that's a big deal. Like, some people think it's some sort of intrusion on my personal freedoms. That made me enjoy the class more. Knowing that I'm in there and that I'm assuming everybody else had to show their card as well made me more comfortable to exercise in that setting and i appreciated the fact that this company took a stand Hmm. that they said we're in the in the gym business people are sweating people are breathing heavy people are in relatively close proximity i mean they they measured it out six feet and you got to put your mat down on the piece of tape so you're six feet away from everybody but still like there's a studio full of people exercising so that the fact that they did that was i would do that going into a restaurant if part of the reservation was, Hey, I'm checking in table for four. Uh, here's the photo on my car, match it with my driver's license. Boom. Like I, I don't mind it at all. And, and I, it is alarming now, as you just stated that the data on the, on its face, people will not accept. I have a, a friend uh, who has a relative that got COVID can pretty clearly trace it to another person in that house. Hmm both of them are choosing to not accept reality it's easier for their psyche to go this is our politics we're we believe these things and so we're not going to accept that everyone in your Sunday school class got covid you asymptomatically gave it to another person in your house who now is very very ill that they don't, that storyline is not true. The storyline is true is why did the universe, uh, you know, why do we, did this bad luck befall our home? Yeah,
0: we 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 try to stay out of uh, political ditches, but I have to agree and I don't watch Fox News, but I just read some of the commentaries sometimes online. Those anchors are killing people. They, they just are. And some of them are like the former president who are vaccinated, and yet they're encouraging people to not get vaccinated, and they're especially encouraging for kids to not get vaccinated. And you can certainly find those outliers. I just told you that there are people that have been vaccinated that have died, but the people that have been vaccinated that have died, there's something else going on, like I just said. It's typically a heart transplant or something happened at birth where their auto, autoimmune system was... Huh? Uh, I have a relative, my sister, my older sister, who has a compromised autoimmune system, and as a result of that, even with a vaccination, uh, she has to be very, very careful. So I'm concerned. I'm, I'm concerned about this fourth wave uh, and what's beginning to happen. I, I wonder if vax, because I'm I'm not a mad vaccinated person. Like when they tell me to put my mask on, I'm cool with that. Like whatever makes people like like the healthcare workers today. They're vaccinated. I'm vaccinated. The only person that's not vaccinated is my son. He's 11. Can't get it vaccinated yet. And yet, there's like, hey, when we show up, we need you guys to all be masked up and ready to go. I'm cool with that. When I walk into – there are different Starbucks that seem to have different rules about when you wear a mask and when you don't. And I just carry one in my pocket to keep people comfortable. But at some point, I have to admit – It does become a drag that people won't get vaccinated, that we're going to have to wear these masks in perpetuity. I'll give you the final say.
1: That's well said. Um, As usual. Facts exist. Science exists. It doesn't care what your political beliefs are. And neither does that virus. Um, So uh, I'm flabbergasted by it. But kudos to the state of Washington and to Seattle proper. Reaching seventy percent, which they believe is around herd immunity, uh, that doesn't mean that people won't die though, and that's unfortunate. That people are, by their willful, willful, willful ignorance, choosing the just stupidly high variance plan, uh, path that makes no sense to me at all.
0: See you on the other side of this. <laughs>
1: Hi, this is Therese, the new buyer specialist for all of you in the Ron and Don Nation. If you're going to win a house in such a competitive market, you better have a good strategist, and that's what I specialize in. When you're ready to sit down with us, go to ronanddonsitdown.com. And now, back to the show.
0: All right, you guys, welcome back to the Ron and Don Show. Uh, guess what? I guess we are if you're a billionaire, you get to, get to go to space. Some people are upset right now with Richard Branson because they're like, Why are you trying to solve the equation about going to Mars or flying to space when really we should be trying to solve world hunger? I hate when people do that. I think you can help with world hunger and at the same time be curious about what's out there. Because at some point, as Elon Musk says... This planet of ours is going to burn out. And when it burns out, boom, humankind's gone. So that's one of the reasons we're interested in going to places like Mars. What, what is Richard Branson doing? Because it doesn't seem like he's interested in getting to Mars. It seems like he's interested in maybe creating a bus line that kind of flies close to space. It almost seems like he, um, he's creating some kind of amusement ride where Elon Musk, uh, and I watch a documentary, it's all about the, the ability to have a rocket return, right? That's what he's been working on because all the money that he has spent in trying to get to Mars, it's like we can't go to Mars unless we can get the lifting rocket to return to Earth. And they've been able to figure that out. They've been able to crack that code. And if you have a chance, watch on Netflix all the rockets that have blown up when they've tried to repark them. Uh, But recently they've had some real success there. So how do you see Richard Branson? It seems to me like he's almost a carnival barker. And, in fact, there's some things that have come out about his recent trip to space uh, that have us kind of scratching our heads. This this
1: is interesting to me because – as much as these guys like to pretend like they're not competitive, they're all competitive. So Richard Branson and Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, the three billionaires that are involved in this this private space stuff, are very different billionaires in my mind. So Branson, if there's such a thing as an old school billionaire, you know, starts out with, you know, he he just did a bunch of different companies. So he had like Virgin music and then he did Virgin air. And so he did a bunch, he would acquire different companies and sort of built these businesses that we're familiar with. You know, you, I, I know what a record label is like, you can go, Oh, Janet Jackson's on Virgin America. Like I get that. Virgin Airlines, I understand, like they're just like Alaska Airlines, except they're Virgin. Like you, there were business. Like I, I don't get how how PayPal worked. I don't understand what Tesla really does, or or Amazon algorithms and you know cloud storage. Like I don't really know how it works, but I know that the book shows up on my doorstep. So Branson, I think <laughs> that's good. <laughs> is is mad because he has been. Building a spaceport outside of Truth or Consequences, New Mexico, for probably 15 years, this project's been going on. He has had to work with the local municipality, which wants him there. And TRC, by the way, there's a big lake uh, called Elephant Butte. Uh, the town is not, last time we were there, it's not a necessarily a great town. We used, put- to, we
0: used to teach a kids' camp there when we yeah. were in our teens. And yeah. so then
1: now that you have this spaceport, like it's a boom, That that's great for southern New Mexico, is the great. tourists coming in. So he's had to work with TRC. He's had to work with the state of New Mexico. He's had to work with the FAA and the government to like, I want to do what you said. I'm going to build this spaceport and people are going to, you can pay a fee, get on this plane and then you will experience weightlessness. And
0: the reason they, they, they want to head out of New Mexico is you can really depend on the weather there. Cause it's typically clear skies, like mo- 300 days a year. Yeah. Easier. It's cl- typically clear, sunny skies, mild wind. Uh, it's, it, it's a very dependable place. There's lots of space there uh, to get the space. And if they had to build a runway, you could build a real cheap runway in so, so
1: For many years, he got a lot of press for this because he was the only game in town. Then you have Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos of Blue Origin and SpaceX. That's totally different. They're going after government. Bezos is going after government contracts. Mm. Bezos wants to get paid billions of dollars To shuttle goods and people to like the International Space
0: Station, Uh, he's hired a lot of the old uh, NASA astronauts and a lot of the old NASA engineers. As as a result, it is
1: not consumer faced at all. Blue Origin, Mm -hmm. SpaceX is sort of in the satellite game, uh, and and Elon Musk is smart enough to know I need some sizzle on this Mm. Mars. He doesn't really want to... He doesn't care about Mars. He doesn't I mean, that's what... He, like Elon Musk did... The, remember the Boring Company? Yep. Uh, and the Flamethrower? It's like he does these things that get a lot of ink and are splashy. Like the Tesla, you can program it to fart when you turn on your... Uh, blinker. Or, he flew,
0: or he flew a Tesla into space.
1: Right, but It's Tesla into space. It's like he knows how to generate that sizzle more than either of those guys. He does, yeah. So Richard Branson is going to be like, okay... Bezos announced that him and his brother going to space. It's like, I've been working on this for 15-plus years to not be the first guy to space. And how you define space is up to you. Um, but, so here's the thing. He makes this made-for-TV event. Branson does. He, hi- he gets um, Stephen Colbert to do the pregame show. In exchange, He'll be the fir- that's the first show he's going to go on after Returns from Space, and I'm doing the air quotes again. So in this made for TV event, Richard Branson thought it would be clever to ride a bicycle out of T or C, uh, truth or consequences, up to which, by the way, the town named itself as a gimmick after a game show in the 50s and never changed it back. So he's going to ride his bicycle uh, to the spaceport and then get out, go into space, come back. So as part of this TV event, they show him riding a bicycle and there's like cars behind sag wagons with little beacons on them and all this stuff. So he gets out. There's a a crowd of probably plants. And he's like, oh, man, it was so great to ride my bicycle up today. Get out here and then get in the rocket. Well, it turns out they filmed the riding of the bicycle a long time ago, edited it in. He totally lied about riding the bicycle. Then he meets with Colbert, who's doing the thing. And he's like, tell you what I'm going to do, Stephen. I'm going to take this picture of you. And he cuts out the, his his head Uh, I'm going to put it in my pocket of my spacesuit, and I'm going to take this to space for you. So then he goes to space again in air quotes, meaning that they got to weightlessness. I've been in a plane that was weightless with the blue angels. I don't call it going to space. We were flying over seafair. I was weightless (laughs) for 15 seconds. I did not go to space. Uh, So he's weightless for four minutes to come back down. He goes on Colbert, gives him the picture. One of Stephen's producers notices, because he was editing the video, he's like, that's not the same picture he put in his pocket. And he made a big deal about this This photo's been to space, and here's your picture. So Stephen goes back, and he pulls the footage, and it is not the same photograph. <laughs> so it is, you know, what it's, it's a bunch of lies. Yeah. But if you want to be weightless in they're defining space as you're still within the gravitational pull of the earth, but you're not in, you're in the, the level of the atmosphere above where airplanes can go. You know what I'm saying?
0: <laughs> not so, quite Mars, right? You're not, you
1: haven't like a, you're not going escape velocity. You're not up where satellites are. You're not in the stratosphere. You're like space light. So, I don't know if I would pay, you know, 50 grand or whatever it's going to be to go to space light.
0: Yeah. Well, I think if you go with Jeff Bezos, it's like somebody paid like $2.2 million. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Hey, you guys, thanks for stopping by. Listen to episode 288. We're sure to appreciate it. He's Ron. I'm Don. If you want to reach out to us, he's Ron at Windermere.com. I'm Don O'Neill at Windermere.com. You can also find us on our social channels, Ron Upshaw, Don O'Neill on Facebook. And then he's Ron Upshaw. On Instagram, and I'm Don O'Neill 30.
1: I'm even Ron Upshaw off of Instagram.
0: There you go. Believe head me. up, shoulders back. We'll see you next time. Right! On the Ron and Don Radio Network. Keep your head up and your shoulders back. And we'll see you next time on the Ron and Don Radio Network.